Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 533, to see into the eternal. What is a theophany? Why did only three guys get to witness the transfiguration? And how can this glorious encounter teach us to interpret the entire narrative of the Bible? We're going to answer these questions and more as we study the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. Hello, everyone. Good to be back together again. Uh, We are now on episode 33, and we're looking at only the first eight verses of uh, chapter 17 of Matthew. Uh, It's the transfiguration, and as we look at it, we're we're really beginning to to look more into the mystery of Christ. Um, A current theologian has written this, J.D. Walt. He said, we are glimpsing in the transfiguration— the timelessness of eternity breaking in on the present time. On that mountain we are seeing through the veil that separates heaven and earth and glimpsing the kingdom of God in all its glorious, indescribable essence, bright shining as the sun, as the hymn has said it. So, in the very opening episode of this series— we said that that the Gospels are like holy ground. They're, they're like ascending Mount Sinai. The church fathers spoke of approaching the Gospels like being on the threshold of a, of a palace. The, the Gospels particularly are intended to take us to a place of wonder and revelation. Now, I've been waiting to teach this episode on the Transfiguration with with a great sense of anticipation. Um, my prayer has been for this week that, that together we can move, as C.S. Lewis said, further up and further in, with, with a greater hunger for a fuller revelation of Christ. Now, before we get into the, the verses, I want to lay out uh, some overarching themes that I'd like you to be aware of as as we go through this. First of all, the transfiguration reveals Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, He shares the divine nature with the Father, being exactly equal uh, with him in power and eternity. Leo, one of the church fathers, said this, Anything that is possible to think about the Father applies also to the Son. The church fathers again and again pointed to the transfiguration to stress the truth of the incarnation. St. Ephraim said this, He took them and led them up the mountain and showed them how he was going to come on the last day in the glory of his divinity and in the body of his humanity. It's really important for us to understand that Jesus was and for all eternity will be fully man and fully God. There is a man in the Godhead. (coughs) Excuse me. The second thing, at the transfiguration, we behold the life for which we were created, an eternal and infinitely glorious life. The transfiguration points us toward who Jesus truly is and the reality of who we will be and how we will live with him forever. The transfiguration of Christ emphasizes exactly the glorious destiny which awaits those who follow him and who go through the exodus of death into eternal life. 
Thirdly, if Jesus' baptism signifies and initiates the opening phase of his public ministry, then the transfiguration inaugurates the next climactic phase. And remember last week, we talked about right after Peter's uh, declaration, Thou art the Christ, that that Matthew began to move from that point on uh, to the second half, really, of his gospel. And the transfiguration inaugurates this. Uh, a favorite contemplative writer of mine is Henry Nouwen, and he said this, And so in the transfiguration, Jesus is empowered to continue his journey and mission, knowing that regardless of what lies ahead, his Father remains with him, guiding his steps and making his mission full. Fourthly, the transfiguration was uh, for the sake of the three disciples. It was an encouragement uh, for Jesus as he was about to begin his journey toward his passion, but it was for them too, so that they could never forget what they had witnessed. Uh, Peter reflected on this experience on the Mount of Transfiguration 30 years later when he said this in Second Peter, "'We were eyewitnesses of his majesty.'" For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, then we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. In fewer words, the Apostle John referred to this too. In John 1.14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. A closer look at this encounter gives us a number of insights regarding the mystery of Christ. And I think this is the aspect that I was most excited about, excited about sharing with you today. So in terms of the mystery of Christ, the transfiguration is known as a, a theophany, a manifestation of the divinity of Christ. We see him in a full display of who he really is in his full glory. Secondly, the message of the transfiguration mystery can only be understood in light of Philippians 2, 5 to 11, which, which is a hymn we call the kenosis of Jesus. The, the, the transfiguration is like a, a momentary anticipation, like a snapshot of what that hymn describes. He has emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, therefore God has exalted him. This was a, a glimpse of the glorified Christ. The, the transfiguration could only be truly understood in light of the Lord's death and resurrection. Dominion and glory and kingship are given to the Son of Man in anticipation of his obedience to his Father, his self-sacrificing love. So this is an anticipatory event that we're going to look into today. Also, the transfiguration, as we're going to see through many of the church fathers' interpretation, leads us from the temporal to the eternal, from the earthly to the heavenly. 
The, the transfiguration provides us with a great opportunity uh, to see how to approach the scripture with that water to wine spiritual reading we've been talking about. So, with that rather lengthy introduction, let's read the scripture. Chapter 17 of Matthew, verses 1 to 8. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter responded and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. Raising their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Well, let's go back to the first verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain. Matthew is showing us that this took place shortly after Peter's great declaration in, in chapter 16, and, and uh, followed by Jesus' promise that some would see him coming in his kingdom. By taking the disciples to a high mountain by themselves, he's taking them far away from other people and from everyday life. I want to encourage all of us the incredible need that we have for solitude and silence. In fact, these two things, solitude and silence, are the foundation for all spiritual disciplines. And and we need to make a decision, especially in this era of smartphones and tablets, to shut off the world and go and be, be by ourselves in solitude and to be silent. You see, by going up the mountain... It's like the dullness of everyday life is is kind of stripped away or begins to fall away, and we become a lot more receptive to the nature of God's Son. I'm going to quote Origen at some length today. He was a late second into early third century church father, and... Um, he believed so strongly, as I've shared with you before, that we must learn to discern the spiritual meaning of all scriptures. So let's look at what he has to say about six days later. For since in six days, the perfect number for the whole world, this perfect work of art, was made on this account, I think that he who transcends all the things of the world while by beholding no longer the things which are seen, for they are temporal, but already the things which are not seen, because they are eternal. This is represented in the words, after six days Jesus took up with him the three disciples. If therefore any one of us wishes to be taken up by Jesus and led up by him into the high mountain and be deemed worthy of beholding his transfiguration, 
let him pass beyond the six days, because he no longer beholds the things which are seen, no longer loves the world nor the things of the world. For when he is passed through the six days, as we have said, he will keep a new Sabbath, rejoicing in the lofty mountain because he sees Jesus transfigured before him. That's just a wonderful quote. To see into the eternal, to experience the glory of God is available. Indeed, we are invited up. Everyone uh, who hungers, uh, we're invited to learn to increasingly uh, have more and more of our thoughts on the Lord and the things that are above and focus away from the things of the world. I believe Origen is telling us that Jesus wants to increase our spiritual capacity for him. Uh, another thing to see right away is he took them up on a high mountain. Now, traditionally, this is Mount Tabor, uh, which is uh, easily reached from Caesarea Philippi, which is where chapter 16 happened. And um, it, it's a mountain that's in, uh, in Galilee. In Old Testament theophanies, Jesus came again and again to people on the mountain. Um, Mount Moriah with Abraham, uh, Mount Sinai with Moses and Elijah. But also, as we've seen in the New Testament, mountains are key. The the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, this mountain, um, Golgotha was on the Mount of Olives, and of course, Jesus took the disciples up on a mountain at the very end of Matthew's gospel for the Great Commission. The mountain in Scripture is a place of ascent toward God, Psalm 121. It's the place where we leave our everyday life behind, at least for a while. So watch when you're reading Scripture. Mountains are a place of encounter. Verse 2 And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. I have much to say about this. And let's let's go back to Origen. He continues to encourage us on the journey. And he says, Do you wish to see the transfiguration of Jesus? Behold with me the Jesus of the Gospels. There he is labeled both according to the flesh and at the same time in his true divinity. He is beheld in the form of God according to our capacity. Pay attention to that. According to our capacity. Those who do not go up the mountain can still behold his works and hear his words. But it is before those who go up the mountain that Jesus is transfigured and not those who remain below. Now, there's no second-class disciple here. He's not saying that. Rather, Origen is encouraging us to keep pressing into the presence and the reality of Christ. I quoted to you a uh, 14th-century contemplative, Julian of Norwich, who I enjoy her writing very much. These days, I'm, I'm beginning my day with a, a little bit. Uh, of Julian of Norwich. But I came across this quote on the same point that, that Origen is making. She said, when we see any of the, anything of him by grace, 
then are we moved by that same grace to try with greater desire to see him more perfectly. Elsewhere she wrote, And thus I saw him, and I sought him, and I possessed him, and I lacked him. And this is and should be our ordinary behavior in life. So she saw him, and yet seeing him made her search all the more for him. She had an encounter where she possessed something of him, and yet she realized how much she lacked of him. Well, let's look at another aspect of this verse, which is huge, glory and light. The word glory is doxa, and by the way, it's a key word in the New Testament. It appears 144 times. That transfiguration ties in directly with the incarnation, which is about the glory of God coming to earth. Coming to earth as a man, fully God, fully man. Scripture states that God is light. First, uh, First John uh, 1.5 says it clearly, he is light. Here in the transfiguration, we're seeing Jesus revealed as God. And when he's revealed as God, who he really is, what happens? His face shines like the sun. His clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anything in the natural realm. See, this passage is shouting the the testimony of the New Testament, Jesus is God. Now, the dazzling light comes from within Christ. It is the divine energy and purity of God that comes from the Son. What Jesus was within, on the inside, is now made visible externally on the outside. The disciples were not only seeing Jesus as he truly is, they were seeing into the destiny of all who believe. A favorite verse of mine is John 14, 20. Did I not tell you if you'll just believe, you will see the glory of God, the doxa of God. I personally don't think that Jesus changed in front of the disciples. I suspect that he lifted the veil from their eyes so they could see who Jesus really was, what he really looked like. Now, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and when he came out from the tabernacle, Scripture says his face shone. But it was reflected light. In fact, we're told that over time it dimmed and dimmed. But Jesus is the light. He is the source of all light and all life. And the glory of God comes to us and we are changed by it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror the glory of God, and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit, a well-known verse. You may not know that literally um, we are being transfigured into the same image from glory to glory. Isn't that marvelous? Revelation 21, 23, right near the end of the whole story. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it. Because God's glory illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb, as clear as can be. We will forever 
be in a place with no need of a light source because that source is the Lamb. And for eternity, we will reflect that glory, that light. Remember Jesus said, we looked at earlier in, in Matthew 13, verse 23, then the righteous shall shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. St. Gregory said this, The light is divinity represented upon the mountain for the disciples, almost too real to be seen. This is the light that dazzled Paul in a vision. Uh, It was a wound to his eyes that healed the darkness of his soul. Isn't that interesting? So the disciples in a flash saw Jesus for who he really is, uh, unshrouded, and who he'll be for all eternity. And as I read that, I couldn't help but go back to Daniel 7, when Daniel has an image of Christ for who he really is. Starting at verse 9, I watched as thrones were put in place, and the Ancient One sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. And then he goes on in verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Isn't that marvelous? St. Christostom said this, What can I say? For the wonder astounds me. The Ancient of Days, who sits upon a high and exalted throne, is laid in a manger. Again, the Incarnation. Well, it's interesting because all three of the synoptic writers made a point of talking about how dazzling white Jesus' garments were. Um, and I think the garments speak of our future. Um, in Scripture, white garments speak of heavenly existence. I'll give you a couple of examples. Revelation 3.5, all who are victorious will be clothed in white. Uh, I will never erase their names from the book of life. Uh, Revelation 7, 9, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count, then from every tribe and nation and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches. What they saw was who Jesus really is, but what they also saw is who we will be. So the transfiguration looks forward to our ultimate destiny He takes them up there in order to plant in them a certainty about him and about the glory and the light of God that are awaiting them. Jesus knew they would need this uh, in the midst of what was about to happen. He knew what was coming in the the coming uh, days and weeks. And so he, he he strengthened them with a supernatural heavenly encounter. 
Folks, we need encounter. It is not enough. We don't actually live on on our theology. We don't live on what we understand. We live on encounter. We live because encounter is about relationship. Let's go on to verse three. Moses and Elijah. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. This mountain is symbolic of revelation. It's, it's kind of like a, a Mount Sinai that's in Galilee. And I remember God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and he spoke to Elijah on the same mountain. It's also called Mount Horeb. Um, Christostom said, For this reason too has the Lord brought forth Elijah and Moses, for he wanted the disciples to imitate their ability to lead, their strength, and their unflinching steadfastness. So very suddenly, Moses and Elijah appear, and there's a lot of levels of meaning here. Moses, of course, represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. And, uh, and what they're saying is, what, what this revelation is telling us is that both parts, the, the law and the prophets, point to Jesus. You know, in one sense, Moses and the law reminds us to look back at the faithfulness of God and his promise through history. And Elijah represents the future promise of a total restoration. And there was, in Jesus' day, a great anticipation that Elijah would soon return to usher in the Messiah. We're going to talk about that next week. Now, what's interesting for us, because we're so familiar with the New Testament— uh, in a non-Jewish context, it can make us blind or oblivious to the incredible prestige of Moses in Jesus' day. They were all aware of the promise of Deuteronomy 18.15. He said, I'm going to send you someone like unto me. So this is very profound because Jesus was not just in their company on that mountain, the Father made a point of exalting him above them. Jesus is Moses and Elijah's Lord. And, and so this, what happens at that moment, is like the supreme revelation of the divine sonship of Jesus. The cross was to be the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. I think we need to understand that. We're going to get to that in several weeks from now uh, when we get to, to uh, Matthew 26 and 27. But the cross was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You know, it's interesting. Luke's uh, version of this encounter gives us a few more details. Uh, Luke 9, 30 and 31. Suddenly they saw two men Moses and Elijah talking to him, to Jesus. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They spoke with Jesus about his departure. The word literally means about his exodus. Matthew was very particular in using that word, and in fact, it's the only time that word appears in all of the Gospels. They were speaking with him about Jesus soon coming to the cross uh, in the context of God's great ultimate plan to bring freedom, eternal life to, to all people. This is the culmination of God's great purpose, the glory of God 
for both heaven and for earth. So the transfiguration shows us the continuity of God's story and plan for all his creation. See the levels of meaning that are here. We, we, it helps us to, to frame the entire salvation history, the entire story of the Bible in context. The, the transfiguration is shouting to us that we must understand the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, through the relationship with Jesus. He is the key to rightly interpreting the truths of the Bible. Moses and Elijah tell us that life is eternal. What do I mean? Well, let me simply quote Jesus in Matthew 12. 26, or Mark 12, rather, 26, 27. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the story about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the God, not of the dead, but of the living. So we are seeing that level of understanding in the transfiguration. Life is eternal. Life carries on. Let's go to verse 4. Jesus responded and said, or Peter responded and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, for a long time when I would read this, I was confused by Peter's outburst. What on earth are you doing suggesting putting up three tabernacles? What's that got to do with anything? Well, At one level, we have kind of impetuous Peter again speaking whenever he's fearful or unsure, Uh, but there's another level. The clue is found in where all three of the synoptic gospel writers place this event on the mountain. It's at the end of the week-long Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of the most important feasts of the year. And and there were three dimensions for Israel to this feast. Number one, it celebrated the relationship between the creator and his creation. Number two, it was a formal time of remembering God's faithful work in history with his people when they were out in the desert. That's why they continued always to build these simple shelters, these simple tabernacles. But there was a third meaning The Feast of Tabernacles looked forward uh, to the coming of Messiah. The gospel writers are recognizing something very important. The Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled in the Transfiguration. Let me explain that. Back to John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Actually, the Word is and tabernacled among us. You see, in the word tabernacle, we have both dwelt among and covered, protected. Of course, that's what a tabernacle was. And this is what the Father was about to do. Peter says, let's put up three tabernacles. He says, no. And we're going to see in a moment his presence comes down. He tabernacles. There's one tabernacle, and it's for Jesus. So I think it's very possible that that was going on for Peter because the context, he knew they were right in the midst of this high feast. But there's another possibility. Maybe even after being rebuked by Jesus in chapter 16, he's still worried about Jesus' safety. Um, There's still in him a, a great pull 
to stay away from trouble, to, to stay in the place of blessing and presence rather than go to Jerusalem. Well, let's go to verse 5. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. First of all, from the time of Moses, the the glory of God was manifested in a cloud. It was called the Shekinah glory. And this Shekinah glory, this cloud, reflects the mystery of Christ because the cloud both uh, covers and conceals, and at the same time, within the cloud, it's the place of revelation and encounter. Remember, there was a pillar of cloud uh, traveling with, uh, with Israel. There was thick cloud on the mountain at the giving of the law. Matthew wastes nothing. The cloud on the mountain was about the giving of the law. Jesus is the Torah. He is the law. The Shekinah glory cloud filled the tabernacle, and later it filled the temple. We read about it in 1 Kings uh, 5 through 8. What's Matthew saying? Jesus is the temple. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he's the tabernacle. He's the place of meeting with God. You don't need to put up a tabernacle. He is the tabernacle. And then the Father says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, in the Synoptic Gospels, the Father only speaks twice, and both times he says the same thing. First time was at his baptism, and now here at the transfiguration. The Father wants the three disciples, and by extension the church, to reverence, to value, to worship his Son more than any other person or any other priority. The the center of the transfiguration is the Father's great declaration of who the Son is to him and who he should be to us. Note, the Father doesn't say, listen to me. He says, listen to him. The word's emphatic. Jesus is the Father's word. If we want to hear the Father, then listen to the Son. His glory is that Jesus' glory is that of the triune God. So there's not going to be three tabernacles built. God the Son is the eternal tabernacle. Apollinaris, one of the early church fathers, said this, For he says, listen to him rather than to Moses or the prophet who've been introduced, because it is now time to go forward and advance from the introduction to the fulfillment from the prefiguration to the reality. Again, he's pointing out this shift now in the whole narrative and in the purpose of God. So we're back to the issue of Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus is the key to interpreting the Old Testament, and I want to just review this because we need to get this. The Father did not say, listen to them, the Law and the Prophets. Above all else, we're to listen to Jesus. Therefore, what can we surmise from this? Read the entire Old Testament by interpreting it 
in light of Jesus' words and deeds and what he emphasized. Uh, the Old Testament, we honor it. I love the Old Testament. Today I was, I was reading in the Psalms. But the Old Testament is not equal to Jesus. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said repeatedly, you've heard it said, but I say to you. The Father's listen to him reinforces and enriches this for us. These words from the Father are at the, the center of this story and are at the center of what his church is to be. Looking again at that famous saying of Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And so it confirms, once again, Christ's superiority over the law and the prophets. Folks, again, I've said this before, but this this is so rich, this passage we're in today. I hardly knew where to stop, verse by verse, as I was preparing. But we see in this, once again, we must not read the Bible as if it's flat, as if every part is equally inspired. The Father says to listen to his Son, listen to Christ preeminently above all others. Joshua is simply not as authoritative as the Gospel of John. Listen to him requires us to make this interpretation of the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. A third thing here in this declaration is we see the Trinity. Like Jesus' baptism, we we see the presence, the strong presence of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit descends upon them all. The Father speaks so that they can hear. He speaks of the Son. So once again, this speaks of that word I've taught you, perichoresis, the, the other focused givenness of the Trinity. Verses six to eight. When the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And raising their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. So firstly, the transfiguration was not only for Jesus' benefit, but for the disciples and ours. St. Ephraim said, He led the disciples up the mountain and showed them the glory of his divinity before the resurrection, so that when he rose from the dead in the glory of his divine nature, they might know that that glory was his before the ages with the Father and together with the Father. It's like they got a glimpse into eternity. And he wanted them to understand that when they, when they encountered him as the resurrected Christ. Jesus knew the great challenge that they were about to face. And so the transfiguration came to strengthen them. Another quote from Henry Nouwen. Jesus wants us to see his glory so that we can cling to that experience. When we are attentive to the light within us and around us, we will gradually see more and more of that light and even become a light for others. To have an encounter with Jesus that takes us, as Origen said, beyond the first six days to his glory will mark us forever. I could give you a few examples in my life, but I'll give you one because it kept coming back to me as I was preparing this. 
Way back in 1985, I was at a conference, my first John Wimber conference, actually. And it was the afternoon, and there was, I think, about 2,300 people there in this auditorium with an arena. It had been an ice arena with cement floor. And it's like the holiness of God just came in. Nobody had to say the presence of God is here. Nobody had to say it. Everybody felt it. And, and we were on our faces. I, I felt like uh, you'd be crazy not to be on your face. And while I was on my face, I had an encounter with Christ, a profound encounter. I had a vision that was so clear. And I don't have a lot of visions, but I had a vision. It was as clear as if I was watching a video screen. And that vision propelled me forward. It took me into the whole new phase of my life. But it also has continued to give direction to my life and understanding for what is happening. When we have encounter with Christ, it marks us forever. So what happened? The cloud comes down, they fall on their face, and we're terrified. This is always the case. It's why Jesus, whenever he showed up, he continually said, peace be with you. <laughs> but you know, all the way through, let me give you a couple of examples. Ezekiel 128, he encounters Christ. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. One of my favorite examples is Revelation 1, verse 17. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. There it is again. Don't be afraid. This was the same John who lay his head on the chest of Jesus in the upper room in, in John 13. Now he sees who he really is and he falls to the ground like a dead man. All the way through the Old Testament, you see this. A great example is Daniel 8, 17. So then Jesus comes to them and touches them, and he says, get up, don't be afraid. Um, Dale Bruner, a great theologian, points out that this, this episode right here where he lifts them up, don't be afraid, he says it contains in a nugget the essence of the gospel. Let me quote Bruner. The church believes that God himself came to us, took hold of us, and took us uh, and told us to get up on our feet and not to be afraid anymore. Verse 8, And raising their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. When this remarkable episode was finished, there was no one to see except Jesus alone. So here's something else the Transfiguration teaches us that we're to be a people, to be a capital C church that is Jesus-centered, never Jesus and, not Jesus and our programs, Jesus and our theological emphases, Jesus alone. The transfiguration not only re reveals who Jesus Christ really is, it reveals who you and I ultimately and eternally will be. I spend a reasonable time just alone 
with the Lord in quiet, quiet, quiet around this. Not only sensing with the eyes of my spirit, not only connecting at a deeper and deeper level with who he is, which is marvelous, but his promise of who I will ultimately be with him and in him. St. Augustine said this, Now all of us will be shining splendidly as the sun at the end of the ages, and that is the splendor that the Lord displayed in himself. His member will shine as the head has shone. No wonder the writer to the Hebrews told us in chapter 12 that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look at him, because that's your destiny. To build our secret space, our secret history with Jesus on solitude and on silence before him. I promise you we will gradually move into the greater revelation of who he is. And, and, and it's, it's gradual and it's gentle, but there are times, like the Mount of Transfiguration, where he may suddenly break in. And as we see him more perfectly, we begin to see ourselves more perfectly, to see ourselves as he sees us in light of eternity. As I'm winding this up, I want to read... Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 55. This is the longest chapter in uh, Paul's writings. It's a remarkable chapter. It's another one that I meditate on, and I encourage you to go there. But starting at verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this imperishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, Then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? At this central event of the gospel narrative, on the mountaintop, the true glory of God the Son breaks through. The complete word has come. The true and final tabernacle now dwells among us. The power of God's kingdom has been made manifest in the transfigured Christ. The age to come has broken in and nothing will ever be the same. The glory of God has been revealed. With all that I know how, I encourage you to enter into that journey, that journey of, of intimacy, that journey like, like Julian of Norwich who says, the more I see, the more I seek. The more I experience, the more I want. This is 
This is the great journey. This is the great gift. This is the great revelation. This is what the transfiguration is about. And so I'll finish by reminding us of some of Origen's words that we heard earlier. Do you wish to see the transfiguration of Jesus? Behold with me the Jesus of the Gospels. There he is beheld both according to the flesh and at the same time in his true divinity. He is beheld in the form of God according to our capacity. According to our capacity. It's this journey. It's this secret history that that increases our capacity. Let me go on. Those who do not go up the mountain can still behold his works and hear his words. But it is before those who do go up that Jesus is transfigured and not those below. Beloved, I encourage you, go high, go deep, go long, go wide, as Paul said, because there is no limit to encounter There is no limit to the heights and depths and length and breadth of this Christ. God bless you. In about a minute or so, Tim and I will sit and and, uh, talk a little bit more about this. Now what? The gospel is meant to be lived. We now invite you to be a part of the discussion as we talk about how to apply this teaching. YouTube viewers can use the comment section below. You can also email your questions and comments to podcast at impactnations.com. Well, I have to tell you, I, I was just uh, just commenting to Isaiah that, especially the way you unpacked verse 5 and how clearly it lays out uh, the authority of Christ that all of Scripture must come under. And we've talked about that a lot um, this year as we've been reading through Brad's book and stuff, but just the way you you talked through that verse, was that for me was the biggest impact today. I, I really, really appreciated that. So I, I would encourage you, if you've, if you've been listening to this podcast, go back and listen to that. Um, I should have paid attention to the timestamp, but I think around the 30-minute mark or so. Um, it's probably, that's verse 5, right? It's yeah. probably right after I cover verse 4. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You'll find it. But I'd encourage you, listen to it again, share it with a few friends. It's powerful. Um, hey, just before we get into a few questions, I wanted to tell you, I, I'm not sure if I share this with you, but we're Isaiah and I have been working with our team in Uganda editing a video that's come from India, actually, uh, which is really, I love seeing our partners working together. So we've got video editing teams that have graduated from our uh, our vocational school in Uganda who are working with our partners in India to edit, edit some film and stuff. But we were just looking at it yesterday, and I was so blessed to see it's a follow-up video on a young lady that was actually featured in last year's Christmas catalog. Uh, her name is Subhashini. Uh, our team encountered her uh, in just the really one of the worst moments in the COVID uh, crisis that was in India that was causing so much starvation. Uh, and if you recall, last year, especially during the COVID crisis, our team was encountering families that were suicidal uh, because they just had they had nothing left there was no food there was no way to find food so our teams were going out every single day and in fact 40 different teams in india were going out every single day to feed the hungry and they encountered this young lady um 
she had just miscarried because she was so malnourished. Mm. Uh, and she, uh, she said in this video we saw yesterday, I, I couldn't even get out of bed. I was in such bad shape. Mm. And our team found her. The, team, the, the family was on the verge of suicide. They brought food, but they also brought rescue. They brought hope. They yeah. found uh, some work for the mother of this family to do. Uh, and then they brought this young lady. Um, I, my guess is she's a, a you know teenage girl. She brought her, uh, they brought her into the sewing school that we've got on the other side of town, and they got her plugged in as she started learning sewing. Uh, and so this video we saw, uh, and it'll be coming out soon, so keep an eye out for it on Facebook and stuff, but uh, she's just saying, I've now, I've taken the course for eight months, I've graduated, and now I've started my own business, and I, she's making uh, 15,000 rupees a month, which is, you know, that's pretty pretty good coin. Actually. That is that's, actually very good. Yeah, that's several hundred dollars a month. That yeah. she's earning uh, as a direct result, and she—you got to see the footage. Like it's incredible that just seeing her interacting with her peers in the classroom and stuff, and she's showing off garments. She's made beautiful garments. Wow! I—I uh, I was so blessed, so encouraged, um, and you will be too. So, do for starters, just make sure you are following us on Facebook because there's always just amazing stories of, of transformation on there. But um, all of that to say. When you give uh, in the Impact Nations yeah. Christmas catalog, like it, it is, it really is changing lives forever. It brings hope to the immediate situation, but it brings long-term sustainable transformation yes. that will bring a, a, a new future to generations to come. Uh, so, in in countries all over the in world, countries all over the world, we get stories like that from many, many nations. Uh, Nepal is a big one this year in our Christmas catalog. Um, uh, Uganda, of course, uh, we're just looking at a really powerful video from Uganda this morning that'll be coming out next week. And we're so. watching how things have just accelerated in the Philippines. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's absolutely remarkable. It's spiritual transformation. Churches are being planted. Yeah. Uh, uh, youth churches yes. are, are being established all over the place. Yeah. As we speak, by the way, there is a team right now that is walking for eight kilometers through the jungle, through the mountains of the Philippines to bring uh, hope to a community that is very remote. Uh, it's about a three-hour hike through the mountains. Uh, a team of young people who are going, they're bringing some food, but they're also just they're bringing uh, some sports equipment to go and have what they're calling a sports fest. Uh, they are going to bless this community with food. Uh, they're going to share the gospel. We brought eight, no, sorry, ten water filters to that community earlier this year there's now a church there because of that oh, I love it. Uh, and so they're going just to continue to to uh, teach the gospel and, and build up the, the believers there and we'll see new believers come as well I'm gospel sure. so, touches every part of life absolutely. right yeah so anyway all that to say uh, <laughs> check out impactnations.com slash Christmas uh, Isaiah's done a beautiful job with that website if you haven't seen it yet it's, it's beautifully laid out uh, if you want a, a print copy we have some extras here we always we order them by the thousand uh, we have many many thousands that get mailed out but that means we've always got a few extras that end up here that that don't have an address ready for them so if you don't have a hard copy and you'd like us to mail you one uh do that uh just give us a call uh or uh or write to us uh again impactnations.com slash christmas you can find our contact info and stuff there uh shop shop together as a family decide hey what what is God stirring our hearts towards this year? Uh, there are so many opportunities, so, and every single one of them is going to have a profound impact, I promise you. Uh, all right. Let's talk a little bit about Matthew 17. Uh, you finished off 
today in your teaching really stressing, like just urging us to go seek out a glorious encounter with, with Christ. Yep. You, you shared a story a few minutes ago about um, having been at a conference and there was this just suddenly the, the Shekinah glory was very present and everybody hit the deck. Yep. Um, that may not be uh, an experience that some of our listeners have had before. Um, and I suspect when they hear of that, they hunger and thirst for it. What can you say to, to people? How can they seek out the glory of God? Wow. How can they seek out a glorious encounter with Jesus? Once again, a good question and a big question. Yeah. Um, remember I said near the end that that in the midst of us pressing in, and as Julian of Norwich talked about, you know, this perpetual hunger, there are also moments when he just breaks in and surprises us. Yeah. That's very sovereign. Mm -hmm. What we can do is be hungry. We've talked about that before, Isaiah 55, John seven thirty seven. But I believe so much is about building this secret history with Christ. And um, I had a wonderful, wonderful time with the Lord this morning, and I can hardly put any words to it, but his presence came so near. And, uh, you know, I often find myself praying, I'm in you and you're in me, mm -hmm. and I'm in you and you're in me. Yeah. And so my increasingly over the years, and imperfectly, I might add imperfectly, um, I his spirit is reshaping me. Mm -hmm. I feel like a, Paul talks about, you know, the, the, the clay and the potter. He's reshaping me for more, to be more attuned to his presence. And, and, and in the midst of presence, often there's encounter. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's just spending that time. And remember what I said was, that uh, solitude and silence are the, are the two foundations for all spiritual disciplines. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember Dallas Willard talked about that. Uh, Richard Foster talked about that. And and I would talk about it too, if it hadn't already been written about. Um, <laughs> because that's really, really important. Yeah. Okay. Just out of curiosity, what, why did why do you think Jesus brought up only those three disciples? Because uh, you you actually finished, you came back around to a quote a, uh, a second time, talking about the like don't miss out uh, and and don't settle for being at the bottom of the mountain, get to the top of the mountain. Uh, and yet there's twelve disciples, only three of them went up the mountain with Jesus. What do you make of that? Well. <sighs> Origin obviously felt it had to do with capacity. Mm -hmm. I focused on that. And so perhaps he knew they were more ready. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter, don't forget, we looked at, at that whole thing on uh, You Are the Rock, you know, mm -hmm. the, um, that he was set aside. There was always, he recognized a leadership in him. Um, the... I think I can only guess it's about their readiness. He knew they mm -hmm. were ready for yeah. this. I can't imagine being one of the others. And, you know, at the end of the night, those guys come down and say, guys, you wouldn't believe yeah. what we just saw. Except Man, that'd be we're hard. going to see next week mm. coming down the mountain. He said, mom's the word. Mm. You don't tell anybody. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a hard secret to keep. That would be a hard secret. <laughs> um. 
I want you to spend just a couple more minutes. This will be my last question, but I, you touched on something that I thought was really interesting, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about its practical applications. Um, when you were talking about uh, Peter's, you know, little idea, hey, why don't we pitch three tents here, three tabernacles, and you talked about the the feast of tabernacles, things like that. But the second thing you said was that maybe Peter was actually trying to hold on to this glorious moment, aware that difficulty was ahead, danger was ahead, and he didn't want to let go of this moment. Um, and that's really interesting to me because we know God's calling us forward. You know, there's the go of the gospel. We talk about that constantly throughout Impact Nation's history. Um and yet, there's the dwelling in his presence and treasuring those those moments. Where's the there's a tension between those two things because um, he is calling us forward and he's calling us into some of us into very difficult things, dangerous things. Certainly, the disciples were about to walk into many years of uh, of exciting stuff, but also pretty dangerous stuff. And obviously, the the crucifixion weekend was was the first of those. <laughs> Where's the balance between this? Uh, I think part of it is in the the answer is in the very setting that the following Christ, the journey of discipleship, um, along obedience in one direction. I quoted mm-hmm. uh, Eugene Peterson a week or two ago. What's the setting? They are up the mountain, which is the place of encounter, mm-hmm. and then they go down into the valley. And they face uh, failure and frustration. We can't get rid of the demons out of this guy. Jesus is going, oi, fey, how long do I figure that? <laughs> but they're both the journey. Hmm. They're both the journey. And we, I think, boy, I don't think I've ever said this before, but but I think we have to be very careful not to live with the imbalance. We can be very practical in our Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, I think that evangelical, 21st century evangelicalism tends to promote practical living and how Jesus can help you and, and so forth. Well, that's not wrong, but we also need the mountain. Mm-hmm. But likewise, we can be people who just want mountaintop experiences. Yeah. We can go from conference to conference, from story to story. The journey goes up and goes down. Wow. And goes up and down. Yeah. Does that help? Yes, absolutely. I, that's excellent. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. There's I've, there's so much to talk about, but I think that actually I'm really looking forward to next week because I think that that's going to fill in some of that journey, what the rest of the journey looks like. Uh, and are you doing the rest of Matthew 17 next week? Do you know? For sure, and I may go into 18. Wow, okay. Um, this has been really good. Thank you so much. I am just... I can't wait to share this with some friends. I Like I said, go back, listen to that section on, on verse 5. It's remarkable. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, we are uh, actually now broadcasting at a slightly different time. Uh, and I'm trying to remember what time that is. We're, we're switching to 5. 5, 5 mountain p.m. Time. mountain time. Uh, wherever you are in the world, I'm going to let you figure that out. Uh, but 5 mountain time. So we're two hours later than we two have been. Two hours later than we have been. That's right. Uh, and we just we realized that some folks, uh, it, it's harder to catch it because you're at work or whatever. But this way, uh, you can catch it uh, a little closer to the end of the day. But, of course, this is always available uh, after the fact. Um, the best place, if you want to see the video, the best place to do that is, I would say, 
YouTube. It, YouTube's got the best way to just catalog everything. You can see the entire yep. season there. Um, and if you're listening, then just head to impactnations.com slash podcast. Uh, you can listen right there. There's a play button for each and every episode. But also you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Uh, that's the way I do it. That way it just gets delivered directly to my device and I can listen to it on the way home from work or whatever. Um, so Yeah, I and I think though, that. The, that issue of home from work is helpful because sometimes people think, I just don't have time. Yeah. And yet uh, we can learn a lot. And experience a lot just in that journey. Absolutely. The other thing, uh, this is sort of a question for public consumption. Next week is Thanksgiving. Yes. Are we having a podcast next week? That's a great question. I think we should. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll get it done ahead of time. Uh, but there's, there's much teaching to be done. So uh, <laughs> let's get it in there. And I know that lots of people will be listening after the fact. And um, so I... Th- I think that we'll find a way to get it done. Maybe we'll we'll push it to Friday or something like that. We'll figure it out. But okay, um, yeah, uh, that is all we have for you this week. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you again soon. Uh, be blessed, uh, and hey, send us a line podcast at impactnations.com. We're hearing from people all over the world. Uh, just heard from a listener in Australia who's been really blessed by this teaching. So I just heard from one in Ethiopia, Ethiopia. today. Boom! There we so go. So my Ethiopia. <laughs> You take your Australian, I'll raise you in Ethiopia. <laughs> Very good. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. It's always encouraging to hear how this podcast is ministering to you. Uh, we'll see you again next week. God bless. God bless.